Good morning. Everybody doing okay? Awesome. Awesome. I li- it's good. Sometimes you ask that and you don't get any response, but today there was response, so that means you're awake, alive, and doing well. And being alive is actually big time. We had some interesting weather uh, this week, did we not? Um, we come today. We're gonna. This is the this is the 29th <laughs> message in our sermon series, the story. And some of you are like, oh no, this is my first time showing up, and they're on number 29, and I don't know, I'm gonna be lost. Our goal today is for you not to be lost. In fact, you showed up at a great day because let me tell you something about this church. I've only been able, I've only had the opportunity to be here for about a year. But one thing I do know: this is a safe, good place to come and and to bring your bring your questions about the scriptures, to bring your, I don't know what's going on with the Bible, because sometimes the Bible can be very, very difficult to understand. There's some parts of it that are easy, but there's some parts of it that are difficult. And so what we've been doing in this last, over this last 29 uh, sessions we've been having is trying to understand the storyline of the Bible. What's the deal with the Bible? And in understanding what the Bible, the main story arc of the Bible is, we've been able to understand that better, but also understand the world, Jesus, and ourselves better. And so we kind of looked at it through this lens of four things. Creation, God made everything, he made it good. Then fall happens. Mankind, those that God breathed life into directly, they rebelled against him. And in rebelling against him, sin, death, and God's judgment is upon every human being. However, from that very point of sin, even before the foundations of the world, God had declared and was bringing about salvation through a, through a family, through a people, the family, uh, through a people of Israel, and then eventually through Christ, Jesus Christ, the God-man who's come. And he died on a cross bearing sin that he did not deserve because he was the perfect God-man. He died on the cross bearing the wrath of sin and being raised on the third day, and that is the message that he's given his church, who he's empowered with the Spirit. And the church is supposed to take that message everywhere until he comes again. Creation, fall, redemption in Christ, and restoration. So we're at this part, we're ending our our section on redemption, and we're going to this place. We're going to look at the way God revealed his redemption to us, and that is through his word. Now, obviously, this would bring to mind the spork. Are you familiar with the spork? Right? You've seen a spork before, right? You've been to a fast food restaurant. Um, This is a, a wonderful implement, which can be used to scoop and to stick things like a fork. However, it's not known for its sturdiness, is it? If you're getting a sturdy spork, you're going to a high class fast food restaurant, I guess, okay? The spork is a great thing until it depends. I guess it depends on what you're eating. For example, if you get a sirloin steak, even a sirloin steak cooked well, you got a little bit. Of, you got to get in there to get that thing cut up. If I were to give you a sirloin <laughs> sirloin steak meal and give you a spork, you might start looking at me funny because that's going to be three seconds. That thing's going to pop off and that's not going to work. Secondly, I give you the task not just eating a sirloin steak. I said, "Hey, I need you to build me a bridge." You know, like. Like the highway department, I need a bridge, and we're going to provide you all the materials you need and one instrument, a spork. How fast do you think that bridge is going to go up? I don't want to be on the spork-built bridge, okay? The tools that we have help us 
do the task that we need to do. And sometimes when you hear the task of the Bible that we're supposed to take as the people of God, as the church of God, as the called out ones of God, and we're supposed to take the good news of Christ to everyone, sometimes we feel like we don't have the tools that we need, especially when we look in the mirror and we need, you know, we need some serious tools and we got a spork. However, I want you to know something. God has given us all the tools that we require and need to accomplish this task. And it's not in us, it's through him. He's given us the spirit of God. And dwelt the believers on the day of Pentecost. We looked at that in the book of Acts. The spirit of God, the very presence and power of God lives in the people of God. And when we preach the gospel, he works through the good news. The good news, the gospel meaning what Jesus has done, he works in that and he's given us that tool. Not only that, he's given us the Spirit, but he's also given us the Word of God. And we're going to end up in 2 Timothy today, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. And uh, if, you don't, if you have a Bible, that's great. Please go ahead and turn there. If you don't, it'll be on the screen, so you are good. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look about the second part of the tool that God has given us to accomplish his task. And it's this. It's the Spirit, and it's the Word. We're going to look at the Word. In verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing... And we'll talk about who Paul is in a second. We have learned that. But Paul, in verse, he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy's a fellow pastor. And in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, But understand this, that in the last days will come times of difficulty. First off, I want to just take a pause, time out. This is written in the first century A.D. What year is it now? Thank you, 2016. I was, <laughs> most of us are still writing 2015 on stuff, I'm a bet, even though it's halfway through the year. But yes, it's 2016. So this is roughly 2,000 years later. What does he say in the last days? There's an assumption that he's in the last days. The last days, oh man, we get so worked up about this in Christians. Oh, the last days, the last days. The last days have been coming since Jesus came. So don't get worked up. They're going to happen. Just everybody just take a deep breath, okay? <gasps> it's okay. We don't have to get worked up in this fervor. It's the last days. It's the last days. Yes, it is. But it's not, we don't know when. And so we get, to verse, we get to chapter 3, verse 1. It says, but understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. We do not like to hear that. Verse 2, it says, for people will be, and they, there's a whole list of things, the reasons why it'll be difficult to do ministry, difficult to live life. In verse 2, it says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. I want you, as you're reading, as we're reading this, I want you to think about this. Have you seen this behavior in the news? Have you seen this behavior amongst people you know? Have you seen this behavior in your workplace? For people will, in the last days, will be lovers of self, or selfies, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Some of you parents with teenagers are like, amen, okay? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless. This is great, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Does that fit the bill of what you see in the world today? Does that fit the bill of what Paul was seeing in the world today? Yes. Is it getting worse? Maybe. 
I don't know, but I want you to know that sin and death has reigned in this world since the fall. But Jesus is bringing redemption and restoration. And he wanted his, Paul is wanting his son in the faith to know that these are the last days, and in the last days, people are going to behave themselves very poorly. They're not going to love God. They're going to love themselves. They're going to be self-absorbed. They're going to be arrogant. These are the things that are going to be happening. And so, there's a couple. If we were to write what the modern-day Christian, how we would respond to this passage, you know what it would be? So what you need to do is get angry. And make sure you get people who are angry to be on your side and be angry. And then also you need to build bomb shelters. And you need to make sure that everyone hears that you're right and they're wrong. And that we need to make sure we, we hoard all of our belongings. And we need to make sure that we, we fight against this in a very violent way. We fight against people behaving this way. Do you know what Paul gives us instead of that, the bunker mentality? He says this, go down if you would. Drop down to verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says this, You, however, in contrast to what's going on in the world, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. So he said, first off, he said, you've seen my life. My life is not, has been one of suffering on behalf of telling this good news. And you've seen that. Then he goes on to say, in verse 12, he says, indeed. And he, he notes this about the reality of being a believer. It says this, indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Big word meaning you will receive something bad because of your faith. You will be, people will look down on you or do something bad to you because of your faith. He says, if you, if you desire to live a godly life, this will happen. Again, good news, right? Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You follow my way of, you see, you've seen this example of my ministry, Timothy. You keep going on following this example, knowing you're going to have hardship, but staying firm because else you live a godly life will be persecuted. And the imposters, they're going to keep going from bad to worse. Verse 14, but as for you, and here's the response to how the, when the world is going to hell, here is the response. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Well, what has he learned? He's going to answer the question in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament in this context. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make, make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, Man, this is, a, this is a 316. We all know John 316, okay? If you don't know it, you've probably seen it, at least at a sporting event. It's still hanging around, okay? John 316, you know what it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a great verse. But there's another 316 you need to know, and it's right here. All Scripture is inspired or is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, 
equipped for every good world work. And so here is the idea. He's saying, Timothy, the world is going to keep getting, it's going to keep going from bad to worse. People are going to still be in their sin. What do you do about it? Do you build a bunker? Do you get angry? What do you do? No, you stay in the word. You teach the word. It is profitable to make you, make you ready to do any and all good things. You need the scriptures. The scripture is this great tool, this great implement. God did not leave us with a spork, but with a book that came out of his mouth. That is how we can endure, and that is how we are to endure. Now, first, I want to go back and notice a couple of things, because we can be confused, because you know what? I have heard, I, I was in youth ministry for a long time, as many of you know, and when we would do a Bible study with teenagers, it seemed like when you, when you asked them a question, they'd answer it with one of three things. Jesus, Bible, God. You're having a problem. What should you do? One of the teenagers would come up and look at us and be like, read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's good, okay? That's awesome. You would say and then answer with either read Jesus, Bible, and God. And I've, never, I've heard so many messages about, and you might probably have too, where it's like, read the Bible, and you should. But I want today to show you some examples of why and pray that God would show you how amazing the scriptures are and how you need to go after them like you would go after bread if you were starving. And so to do that, I want to look at where this came from, where this passage, verse 16 and 17, about all scripture being inspired by God. If you look back up in verse 10, Paul talks about his life. He talks about how bad things are, and then verse 10, he goes back and he talks about his life. He says, you, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Now, this guy is saying, Timothy, as much as I follow Jesus, I want you to follow me and to see my example. So he is being an example to this, his son in the faith, his fellow pastor, of the way he, by the way he lived, of the way a Christian should behave. But there was a time that we looked at a couple of weeks ago where Paul's example was awful. He was, before he became Paul, his name was Saul. And he persecuted Christians. He was standing there as the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death. He held coats while, so people could get a bigger, bigger, uh, a bigger throw in and beat Stephen to death with rocks for preaching the good news. In fact, Paul, it even talks about him in Acts chapter 9 that he was breathing threats against the church. And, he, and Saul wanted to go and kill Christians. In fact, he had gotten a letter to imprison and to do so. But on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a blinding light. And he was converted and he trusted Christ. And he went from being this enemy to being a man who would take the gospel all throughout the known world. And if you don't believe me, I have a map, okay? <laughs> Figure number two. If we have that back there, maybe. Yes. Now, I'm not going to make you read this, but if you see all these little lines in this map, this is the Mediterranean area. This is where Paul would have been doing most of his ministry. I wish I had one of those little pointer things, but I don't. You have to just use my finger, okay? And so you see this is the Mediterranean area. 
He took three missionary journeys, was arrested many times, traveled thousands of miles, planting and, and putting churches up all over the Mediterranean world. He went from persecuting Christians to being the greatest, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. He, God called him out to be an apostle. And look at the change that is happening. Look at all the effort that he went through. They did not have a plane. They did not have a car. He did not have a cell phone. They did not, they probably had carrier pigeons. I think they did, okay? But they did not have any of the modern conveniences. And traveling the Mediterranean Sea was a treacherous, treacherous thing. And he went all around. He had been stoned. He had been shipwrecked. He had had all these things. He'd been arrested. And in all these places, he has gone to take the gospel. So I want you to know where this came from. He is saying, you look at my example. I want you to know something and hear this very clearly. It doesn't matter where you are, what you have done, how far you have been away, how anti-God you have ever been in Christ. There is a way back because this man was a murderer and hater of God in his church and Christ saved him blinded him so that he could see, and he became this man who, who went all over the known world taking the gospel of Christ with him. In great persecution as well, we know that. Secondly, I want you to see this. We're going to get down. We see Paul. He writes, this is in this tab, he goes, and we'll read this again. He says, you, however, Timothy, you see how people, how people, the world is getting from bad to worse. I want you to know this. You, however, you, you follow my teachings, my conduct in life. This is back in verse 10. My aim in life, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, with the persecution I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Verse 12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, you just get more instruction. Timothy, Timothy, you've seen my way of life. You've seen what God has done. You've seen the persecutions I've put up with. You, you see how bad the world is getting. And I want you to just follow my example, and I want you to remember what you have learned. And he goes down in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And from childhood, you have been equated with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise through salvation in Jesus Christ. Again, the sacred writings here is talking about the scriptures, the Old Testament particularly, and it will apply to the New Testament as well. In verse 16, he says this amazing phrase, all scripture is breathed out by God. He is definitely referring to the Old Testament. Because of 2 Peter 3.16, you can go check that. That's another 3.16 you need to know. It's very, it's very evident that the very first believers thought that Paul, Paul's writings and his letters he would write to these churches as he was going on these missionary endeavors were also Scripture as well. The church confirmed that later on, uh, and it, was, it became evident that the 27 books in the New Testament are also Scripture. So here's what I want you to know. The answer 
to life. The answer to how we are able to, the tool by which we are able to work through and, and, and accomplish the task that, that Jesus has set for us and to take redemption through the world is the scriptures and the spirit. And the scripture is something completely unique. It's the breath of God. And so to understand that, let's look at actually what the Bible is because let's be honest. Many of us are moderately familiar with the Bible. Most of us have some issues that we don't know a lot about it. And it's okay to not know a lot about it So, because you know what one of my jobs is and one of our elders' jobs is? To train up and to teach the church. And so let's just do a basic Bible one-on-one. If all Scripture is breathed out by God, if it's the breath of God, if it's the Word of God, if it's the truth of God, if it's God telling us who He is, and if it's the way that we can accomplish, it's the tool, not the spork, but the tool that we can accomplish God's purposes in this world, shouldn't we know at least the basic dynamic of what it is? If you got, if you know, in the front of your Bible, it's got a table of contents. You ever seen that before? We're going to kind of just walk through that for a second. Guess what? I have slides. I know you're excited about that. Are we ready, Olivia? There we go. There are 66 books in the Bible, okay? 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. We got the second thing. I want to go through the Old Testament with you real quick because we walk through the Old Testament in our time together. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. I don't know. I hope you can read this up there. If you can't, we can get you that slide later on. But I want you to know something. There's five books of the law. It's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The books of the law talk about creation and the Exodus and basically starts the process of God bringing about redemption. We also see there's 12 books of history, Joshua, Esther, 1st, 2nd Kings. If you want to have a good time, if you want to read a book of the Bible that'll, that'll give you some questions, 1st, 2nd King, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. Crazy stuff going on in there. There's a dude that is so fat, he gets impaled by a stake, and it's so fat, they don't know why he died until later on when they find out the, the stake went all the way through him, and they couldn't tell because he was so fat. That is in the Bible. But it's all speaking, it is all speaking and pointing towards Christ, okay? So we got the 12 books of history, Joshua to Esther, and we got the wisdom books, which if you ever get a New Testament in a hotel room, it's going to have the Psalms, it's one of the wisdom books, one of the things we read from today, and Psalms, Proverbs, two of the wisdom books, and then it'll have the New Testament in it. Very important. This goes from Job to Song of Solomon. If you want a real fun day, go read Song of Solomon. We also get to the major prophets. You know why they call them major? It's not because they're like, you got to salute them. It's because they're big. They're the largest of the prophetic books. And this speaks to the fact of God. God has always spoken his word through his called out prophets and people. Because in the prophets, you'll hear them say, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah and he spoke this way. The word of the Lord came this way. It's amazing. God has decided to reveal himself through divinely called men who he inspired to write down his very word so that he can communicate to us. And we have several of the major prophets in the, in the Bible. It's Isaiah to Daniel. Okay, if you're following along, you can kind of mark in that table of contents. The second thing is we have the minor prophets. They're not called minor because they're not as good. They're called minor because the books are shorter. And this goes from Hosea to Malachi. And you even got Habakkuk in there, and that is fun to say. Go home and say Habakkuk as much as you want. Okay, it'll be a good day. Habakkuk, okay? 
39 books in the Old Testament, all of this, all of these, the, the word of the Lord speaking through the prophets, all of the storyline in the historical books, all of the law, all of the wisdom is pointing us to Jesus. And it's all about who he is, and it is there to wake us wise to salvation and to make us competent for every good work. It is the word of God. And so now you can kind of get a picture. You see what we're doing here? I want to paint you a picture because we're going to tell you. We're going to try to get you into the Bible. But if you don't even know what it's about or how it's set up, it's hard to get in there. So I want to give you this as Bible 101 so you can get it because if the Bible is God's word, you should know it. And if you, it, we got to start somewhere, and sometimes you need to start with the basics. And then we get to the next part. That's the Old Testament, which is all pointing to Christ. Then Christ shows up on the, on the situation in the New Testament. And we have 27 books in the New Testament. And it majors on the, purpose, the person of Christ, telling the work of Christ, and the church that is that it's, it's responsibility. In that, there's five books, four of which are the Gospels, and they tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have Acts, which talks about the church, the founding of the church. It's the continuation of the work of Jesus through the church. Then you get to this next part, which is the Pauline epistles, which is this very guy right here who wrote this letter to Timothy. That's what epistle means, by the way. It just means letter. And so what happened is, is Paul is going around. Remember we, walked, we looked at that map, and he's going all over the world, as he is going around the world sharing the gospel and making, planting new churches of people who have believed Christ and have been baptized, do you know what he starts doing? Under the inspiration of the Spirit, which means God working through him and his personality, he is inspired to write 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament, some of which are written at different times. This is probably, in all actuality, his last book he, he has, well, was written before he was martyred under Nero. He was in a deep, dark dungeon. Life is ending. And so he's writing this. He knows the world's getting bad. And he's writing this letter we have, Second Timothy, to believers there. And so we see that Paul, God has given us a word through him. And all these letters are about problems or doctrinal things or things that people need to believe in order to be saved, in order to be a godly person. Paul writes 13 of those. We got, we got, I'll show you those in a second. Then we have eight general, general letters, general epistles. Those are um, like Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. And you know why they're called general? It's not because they're on a higher level like major general, okay? It's not like that. It's general because they're written to a wide group of churches. And then we got the book of Revelation, which is finally God giving his revelation to John, and it kind of bookends the entire book. So that's basically the breakdown of the Bible. If you want to see all 13, I got this for a second. It will pop this up here. These are the 13 books that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Now, those are all weird names. A lot of those are very weird names, right? Yeah, Thessalonians. He wrote that to the church in Thessalonica which was a part of Asia at the time. And so all these, most of these bear either the name of a person he's writing the letter to or the place he is writing to. Does that make sense? I just want to give you this because we tell people to read the Bible all the time, and then we don't tell them how to read the Bible or how it's even set up. And so I want you to know this. If we believe, going back to this Scripture, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, don't you think we ought to know it? 
and at least be acquainted with the small parts of it. All scripture, and then let's think about this word breathed out. It is a compound word, which just like literally means God breathed. Like the breath of God. Do you know where the breath of God has shown up in other parts of scripture? When God formed man, you know what he did? He breathed life into man. We also know that when the Holy Spirit is involved, and we see that in the New Testament, when he comes, it's equated with wind and breath. And Jesus, he did this very odd thing, which I bet his disciples did not understand at the time. Right before his crucifixion, he breathed on them. That's weird, right? Someone comes in your face and goes, and they're not a little kid. That's not cool, okay? It's just not cool. And so Jesus comes up and he goes, and he breathes on them. He tells them, receive the Holy Spirit. That is not an accident. It's showing us that God has truly and deeply and profoundly spoken about who he is, what his son has done, what mankind is like, what mankind's greatest problem is, and the way that the world will be rectified and set right. It is in this book. This story is the, this, this book this, this of Scripture, these 66 books inspired, God inspired through people to get exactly the words he wants. This book opens the door to life and godliness and truth. All Scripture is inspired. It's the breath. It's breathed out by God. Not only is it that, but then he says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable. Profitable. That means it's useful. Let's go back to the spork. I know you're going to be tired of me talking about the spork, but it's important that we think about the spork because a lot of times we do think about God, that God hasn't given us all the resources we need. You don't realize what we got. I'm telling you, I got copies upon copies upon copies of the Bible at my house. You might too. I got ones I don't ever read. I got a little tiny office up here, and there's like 50 translations over there. I can now you can download an app called YouVersion on your phone and you can see Bibles. Almost every known translation in the English language you can see for free on your iPhone or Android device. I don't want to, you know, I'm not, I'm not plugging Apple, okay? You can see that on there. Not only that, you can access foreign language translations of the Bible everywhere. We have it all around us. We can, in this country, we can put scripture on the side of our church signs if we wanted to. We can print t-shirts. And I was in youth ministry for a long time. It seems like every time you had to do a youth event, you needed a t-shirt. And you smacked the Bible verse on the back of it. We have Bibles everywhere. If you go into Lifeway or a Christian bookstore, they put, they put scripture on blankets, on snuggies, okay? They put scripture on plates. They put scripture everywhere. It's almost like we drown in it, but we don't read it. Because I don't think we understand or think about what we have. It is the very breath of God. It is truth in a world where truth seems to be in short supply. 
It is what will make you wise unto salvation. It is what will let you know who God is because unless you have God revealing himself, you are left to your own devices to figure out who God is. And it will not work out well apart from him showing you who he is because we will inevitably make God in our own image. And if you were God, we'd be in trouble. And if I was God, you'd be in bigger trouble. You hear me? All Scripture is the breath of God, is revelation of God, and it is profitable. It is something, it is like this, you see the spork? It's not just like a spork that will break if you're trying to do something with it. It is this amazing tool of God that is profitable, that will work, that is an instrument of great strength. And then he says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's from him. It's a revelation of who he is. It says, and it is profitable. And then he goes on to say what it is profitable for, what good things it will do. Does that make sense? And so we see this. It says it's profitable for teaching. Teaching. Now we see that. Anybody, how many of you, we got VBS coming up in a little while. How many of you went to vacation Bible school as a kid? Anybody? Okay, I did too, and so uh, you can put your hands down now. We won't have that. <laughs> It'd be funny to let you leave your hands up for a while, right? No. We got, when at Vacation Bible School, they taught us a lot of the stories of the Bible. In fact, they did a lot of that on flannel graph, which flannel graph was like some fabric that looked like a scene. Anybody ever seen these before? And they had this little cutout of like, you know, Moses or whatever, or Jesus, and they'd smack it up there, and they would tell you the story using the flannel graphs. And this was long before computers and apps and all that kind of stuff, okay? And, or sometimes they would draw with chalk, and they would help you understand the, sto- the stories. The Bible, the stories are important, but the stories have greater meaning. And sometimes what I lost as a little kid was I didn't understand how the stories fit together and how they were all telling the story of Jesus. Now, thankfully, through through wise men, through study, through God putting me in, in positions for people to pour into my life, I've been able to come to the understanding of what these stories, how they all come together into this understanding of who God is. And so this word teaching here, he says the, the scripture which is from God is profitable, it's useful, it's an instrument that will work, it's an instrument that has great power and strength for teaching. Teaching here is not just knowing the stories, but it's knowing the meaning of the stories and knowing what they say about who God is. And so he says the scriptures are profitable for teaching who God is. The greatest thing, this is, this is true, the greatest thing you can know is God. The scriptures are not to make you arrogant. The scriptures are not to make you someone who has a lot of just head knowledge. The scripture is not just so you know a lot about ancient facts and ancient things that happen. The scripture is not so you can fit into a cultural dialogue that knows these stories existed. The scriptures are to make you and to help you teach you who God is that you may know God. That's why we place a big emphasis on the Scripture at this church because we know it is through the Scripture and the work of the Spirit that someone can know God, and knowing God is the best ever. It is the thing we are created to do is to know and to glorify Him. 
And so this, the scriptures are breathed out by God. It's God's revelation. It's God's word. It's exactly what he meant to communicate. It's his revelation of who he is, and it is profitable for teaching to help us know who he is. Secondly, the word, the next thing it's good for, we see in this passage, it is for teaching for reproof or rebuke. We don't use those words very often. But in this case, a lot of times when we say rebuke, we're thinking about an action. For example, took my little boy to the zoo yesterday, okay? And at the zoo, and that, which is fun and awesome, and it was great weather, we had a great time, they put these gift shops all over the place, right? So inevitably, we ended up buying something at a gift shop. I know if you were a parent, you understand that, okay? We bought something at a gift shop, and then we went to eat at Cracker Barrel afterwards, okay? You're getting a whole synopsis. I'm going somewhere with this, like, why is he telling us about his day? I'm going somewhere. Hold on, okay? We don't like this story. We get to Cracker Barrel, and he has got, he is racked up. He'd been to the zoo, okay? We did all the little carousel stuff at the zoo, okay? We did all the fun zoo things. Then we get to, and we buy him something at the, the zoo gift shop, which is like marked up a bazillion percent. I guess we're saving the lemurs, or for some reason, that's why we're doing it. And then after that, we go to Cracker Barrel, and, you know, they put, like, little stuff right at kid height on purpose, and it's, like, little fun candy dancing toys, you know, and, like, Iron Man, you need a $12 Iron Man candy dispenser. And he picked it up, and he was like, I want this! And I had to be like, no, and he got it, too. And I was like, dude, that's what we think of rebuke, necessarily. Like, you had a lot of things, and now... That is, you are taking advantage of my goodness and my kindness to you, and you are going over the line. That's partly what it is, but there's a real sense that reproof and rebuke, this word, in this, in, in this passage of Scripture, it really has the idea of correcting or rebuking a wrong thought that you had about God. It's related to teaching, and it's replacing it with right thought about God. What you think about the nature of God the nature of Christ affects your behavior, yes, but it changes everything. Think about this, for example, if you will. Most of us tend to define God based on, we look at, think of God and the way he looks at us through the scale. If we do enough good things, we're, we're good in his sight, in his favor. If we do too many bad things, uh, the, sta- the tables are stacked against us, and now he will judge us. And so we look at God as somebody who is constantly looking to strike. But the fact is, understanding who God is and understanding who, our, who we are through the Scriptures, it changes. We see rising the cost of our sin. We see how much sin we have. We see how far fall how far we fall short of God, and we see there is, through the Scriptures, there is no way we can be right with God. And he will judge us because we have sinned against him, and rightfully so, because we're guilty. However, when you continue to read the Scriptures, you see that while we were yet sinners and rightfully deserving of all that because we have stacked the deck of sin big time, and it far far outweighs our good deeds. We see that God, in his great mercy, sent Christ, undeserved to us, to bear our penalty. God, in the second person of the Trinity, bore the wrath of God the Father so that, the, so that those who would believe on the Son 
would have life. And so we no longer have to look at God in these ways like, I need to do enough good here, and I need to be religious enough here to fix it, to fit in. No, all the hope now goes on Jesus. Do you see how, do you see how that changes the way we think about it? Instead of God sitting there with like a heavenly sniper rifle waiting to zap you when you screw up, you have a, you have a father who came to pursue you while you were a mess and had no hope and he came and died that through faith you might be in him and be as righteous as his son Jesus. Do you see how much different that is? You have to come to scriptures to chain your thinking because our thinking goes another way. Our minds have been affected by sin, and we need the constant rebuke and reproof of scripture to get us right. Take another example of how our, our thinking can mess us up. Let's say, for example, something awful happened into your life, and you've been following God, okay? You've been at church, you've been reading the scriptures, and something bad happens in your life. Where do you immediately go to? Well, you can, but a lot of times, here's what really happens. We go to this, we go to woe is me territory. At least maybe I'm, spe- maybe I'm projecting my, my stuff on you, but that's where I go, God, I've been serving you. God, I'm a pastor. God, I... I I went to seminary, and I stayed up late at night writing papers and reading books. And, God, we've been trying to follow you. Why would you let this happen to me? And I want to tell you something. We get to this debtor's ethic where we think because we follow God that he owes us something. That is ridiculous. And unless we have the scriptures to check ourselves, we will wreck ourselves with that kind of thinking. So the scriptures are there to help us understand who God is teaching. It's not only and understand who we are in light of him and understand our, net, our need. We also see that it's not just for teaching that the scriptures are profitable, but it's for rebuking our thinking. And then it is for correcting our behavior. Look in this passage. It says the scriptures are breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. This has a much more, it's much more pointed at correcting behavior at this point. So the scriptures do talk about sin. And just because we talk about grace doesn't mean sin doesn't matter anymore. In fact, when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, we hate our sin all the more. And so he talks about correcting. It is never fun to be corrected or really not even fun to correct a child. I was at the, again, I'll go back to the zoo. There was this kid at the zoo who lost it. I guess maybe he didn't buy like the, you know, the parent didn't buy like the $20 lemur or what. I don't know what happened, but I'm just watching this unfold, and this kid is going ballistic. <laughs> and the dad is like, I will not take you back to the zoo ever. If I could turn the car around, I would. If I could get a refund because of your behavior. I mean, he, the dad was, and the kid was like, ah! And it was just like very evident that it was a bad day at the zoo. And they are getting wild and crazy. And the parent is trying to correct this kid's behavior. You know why? Thank God he was. Because if you did that when you were 25 and your boss told you something you didn't want to do and you threw a hissy fit in the office, you're going to get fired and probably arrested if you're doing what this kid does. Can you imagine? Hey, I'm going to need you to um, fill out this, this form differently. No, I don't want to. Ah, okay. You imagine how that would work? Not at all. So what do you do? 
to make your kids not be a spaz and a failure in life when they're older, you correct them. Okay? Why would God be any different? Remember, he's changed our thinking about who he is and that he's a good father and that he's the one who's come to save and that he is not, he will judge, but he's made a way in, through salvation. We can't know that on our own. This, this whole system of grace that the Bible, the breathed out word of God shows us is, is counterintuitive to the way we think about things. And so we see that he is, he is about all those good things of grace, but he also, his word brings correction because it's necessary that our behavior reflect the inward work that God is doing in our lives. And so he talks about sin in the scriptures and talks about idolatry and talks about sexual immorality, and it's there to correct us. And then it's there for what is else? is Why is else is the scripture profitable? And it says it is for training in righteousness, to continually to work, to make us more holy, make us more right more like him. My man Tom back there, I didn't even talk about this, that I was going to do this, so I hope he's not mad at me. My man Tom back there, he likes to pump some iron. <laughs> you can tell. I mean, Tom, he's got, some, he's got some guns, okay? Not like that. Like that. Training to get the muscles, I'm assuming, I know this, he goes to the gym pretty much every day and works to get the muscles built. That is the idea here that being in the scriptures will train us, will move us from being undisciplined and out of shape to being more righteous and holy and pleasing to God. Remember, our pleasing, I, when I say pleasing, I'm understanding that now that we have been made right by God, we can please him now because he has made us his children. That is what the scriptures are profitable for. It teaches us who God is. It corrects and reproves and rebukes our understanding, our faulty understandings of who God is. Not only that, what else does it do? It corrects our behavior and makes us more aligned with God, and it continually trains us and makes us more strong that we may be pleasing to God. And not only that, if you go on in verse 17, it's all of this is done, all the scripture which is from God, it is for, it's profitable for all these things, and it's also for so that the man of God, the one who follows God. In this particular, he's talking about Timothy as a pastor, but any person who claims faith in Christ may be competent. The word competent here could be understand fit, could be healthy. That means you are, you are fit and equipped for every good work. You, because of the scriptures, have a tool that will make you ready to do Every good work. I said the word every on purpose. You know why? Because it's in the text. Every good work. Do you know, believer, because of the work of Christ in you through the Spirit and because of his word, you have everything that you need to do every good work he calls you to. Do you know what this does? This takes the... I don't have the ability to do that out of the question. You know why? You don't. But through him and through the scriptures, you can. It's not me telling you that. 
This is not some self-help motivation, get Christians fired up to do the work in the church. No, this is the scripture that says because of the word of God, because it's the word of God and because it's profitable, that it is, it is, is given so that to reprove or to, to teach, to correct, to rebuke, to train in righteousness so that, all, that the man of God, so the people of God, those who have trusted in Christ, will be what? Will be competent and equipped with a tool to do every good work. I don't know if I could share the gospel with them. You might not be able to if you never if you don't read the book. I don't know if I can I don't know if I can forgive that person. You can't on your own, but through the spirit and through understanding the teachings about forgiveness in the scriptures, God can give power to forgive. I, I can't, I'm caught in this sexual sin. I, it, is, it is eating my life. I, don't, I, can't, I can't get away from this to do good works. Oh, yes, you can. The power of sin and death has been broken. The Word has the power. God's Spirit through the Word, there is a way to do every good work. The I'm ill-equipped argument goes out the window. In fact, if we do, I guess now if someone tries to say that at church, we're going to go, eh, okay, like, you know, like a family feud, eh, okay. Would you like to serve here? I just don't feel equipped, eh. But, eh, just tell me you don't want to. That's okay, okay. Uh, you feel called in another direction? That's actually a good answer, but I don't feel equipped, eh, read your Bible. I don't know where to go. Well, we'll help you. But I don't, eh, okay, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> it's getting real, right? Oh, no. I, we're not going to, uh, please don't really do that to someone. That'll be a really jerk thing to do. But, you know, you get my, it's, you know, hyperbole here. But I want you to get this. If, if the Bible is everything that it says it is, and it is, but let's say if it is, and if it's the very breath of God, and if it's profitable to correct our teaching about God, to help us understand who God is, that we may know God, and knowing God is one of the best things you can do in the world. That is the th- reason why you were created, to know and to glorify God. If that's the case, and that it's good for training us to be more like him so that we can be more effective and be more in his use. If, if that is the case, and we have no, no reason to not be equipped because we have every tool available to do the work of God because we have the spirit and we have the word of God. If all those things are true, which they are, then we got to go after the Bible like crazy we got to go after it. And that may mean starting and, and, and saying, hey, I need some help with that. And that's what I was trying to do by showing you those, what the, how the Bible breaks down because understanding is the way to start. And here's the cool thing. You don't have to have a prior knowledge of the Bible to be effective here at church because we will help you. And we will not look down upon you. We will help you understand the scriptures. Why? Because it's so important. It's all of these things. It's God's breath. It's profitable to make you an equipped, godly person, to make you pleasing to God, and to make you accomplish the work he has created us for, which is to take the good news to the world. There is this video that I really love. I'll post it today on Facebook, and it's this actor, Shia LaBeouf, and I'm not going and giving him any, I'm not sponsoring him. But he is standing there in a T-shirt, 
and he's got this awful rat tail, and he just goes, do it! Do it! And he just yells at you to like, just, you're going to make your dreams happen, do it! I, don't, I watch that video more than I should, I'm be honest with you, because I get up in the morning, and I'm like, yeah, I want to do it now, okay? I don't need coffee. I want to watch this. So here's the deal. If the Bible is all of that, then do it. Get in it. Fight for it. Read through the tough parts. Read until you understand. Ask, and it will be given to you on understanding. Go and ask the Lord. Pray. Say, help me understand. Get in the Word. Find some people to help you understand the Word. Get involved in a Bible study, small group, to help you understand the Word. Buy books to help you understand the Word. But just do it. I don't know. I, I, this, I've said this. I don't know why I feel so dry spiritually. How much of the Bible am I reading? Most of the time, it's like the times that are the darkest and the driest in my life is when I'm the farthest away from the Word of God in Scripture. This is not the case of take, two, take, two, take, take some Bible and call me in the morning. This is, this, is, this is the whole of our spiritual life is connected to this. It tells us the good news. It points us to Christ. It makes us profitable. It makes us equipped. So just do it. Get in it. Read it. Ravage it. Read it. Get it on a CD and listen to it. Hear people teach and preach it. Get some podcasts. You have access to literally thousands of sermons. Not here, but through other godly Bible preachers. There is no reason that we should stay in this place where we are so biblically illiterate and far from God. For the love of God, come to the Scriptures. It'll make you wise to salvation. It'll make you wise to salvation, and it will make you competent for every good work you've been called to do. Let's pray. God, um, we come and we just thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the fact that you have given us, who you've shown us who you are through scriptures and that we should just go after it. God, please burn in us a desire to know your word. That desire can only come from you. So we ask that those who are struggling with that, that have no desire right now, God, we pray you work in their life. Those of us who are weak right now and we feel spiritually dry, and even when we come to the Word, it feels, it feels hard and difficult and dry. We pray that you would work through your Spirit to help it come alive again. I pray for the person here who doesn't really have an understanding of the Bible. God, I pray that you would help this church and help me and help the other elders and other leaders in the church. Help us be available and help us be kind and gentle and clear and help encourage people to come to the Word and come to faith in Christ. God, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.